these generations of Gen X and the silent generation are usually the workhorses. They are the ones that get stuff done. They're the ones that bridge the gap between these two dominant generations. And they are dampening the, um, the baby boomers so that everybody can get along. Welcome to the Rocky Retirement Show. My name is Kathy Klein and I'm the host. And in this show, we don't talk about money or financial issues. We talk about retirement lifestyle issues. These are things that everybody needs to know, whether or not you've saved enough for retirement. So let's go to the episode. I am so excited to have Lisa Woodruff back on my show. Lisa was on episode 89 back in August of 2017. And at the end of the interview, I mean, we really weren't finished yet. She had so much to say about organizing. And she has helped me so much personally that I had to have her come back on the show. And we're, today we're going to talk about generations. So Lisa, welcome back. Hi, Kathy. This is something I love to talk about. So I'm so super excited to deep dive into this with you today. Me too. Now, before we start, I have to give you an update on what I've been doing because you know that I'm a an avid listener to your show. <laughs> so, yes, thank you. Yes, you're welcome. I've told a lot of people about it. I love your show um, just because personally, I need to be organized. So one of the things that I did when we had last talked, I had organized my closet, but I still had all my old clothes sitting sort of in my laundry room, ready to either be taken to the Goodwill or to be taken to consignment. So I finally took all those old clothes, um, not all of them, but the ones that they would take to a consignment shop. And they went through all of them. They took out the good ones and they had them for, I don't know, three months or so. And I made 56 bucks. <laughs> awesome. That is awesome. Now you can go out on a date. I know. That's what I figured. Another thing that I did, and I actually did this last night. So you are my first podcaster with my podcasting equipment in a new spot. So there's pros and cons to that. The pros are I can sit because in the past I used a, I still have my standing uh, walking desk. But when I'm interviewing people, I usually interview everybody all at once on one day. And standing there not being able to actually walk really killed my back. So I took your advice and I put my podcasting equipment to where it would be better serving me. And that's over on my sitting desk. So hopefully I won't make too much noise because now I've got things around my hands that I didn't have before. <laughs> so <laughs> little I a, distractions. I know. I've got like a little squeaky chair. No, I tend to bang things. You know, I'll move my hand and it'll bang the microphone. <laughs> so hopefully that won't, won't happen. And then another thing is I'm still trying to work on my Sunday basket. And for my listeners, if you don't know what a Sunday basket is, Head on back over to episode 89, where we really talk about the Sunday basket. And that is an excellent episode for you to listen to. Really, you you probably don't have to listen to that episode before you listen to this one, but it might help. So if you get a little lost, head on over to episode 89. But I still have my Sunday basket. And I had an epiphany, which I haven't implemented yet. And it might have been from me listening to your show. 
And that is my business needs its own separate Sunday basket. (laughs) Yes, yes. So the Sunday basket is a simple way to organize your kitchen paper and your actionable to-dos. And when you teach something on a podcast and not by video or not in person, it can be easy to overwhelm people. So for a long time, I told people there was just one Sunday basket until people knew what the Sunday basket was and they could share it with other people. And then in the summer of 2017, I recorded a podcast about how you can have more than one Sunday basket. And actually your podcast was the first one I talked about that on. And we talked about having a another Sunday basket for someone you are a caregiver for. So yes, you should have a Sunday basket for your work and for your home. But here's the thing. And here's why I caution people on having more than one Sunday basket. You can have as many Sunday baskets as you want. But what is the one rule of the Sunday basket? Do you remember? Yes, and I'm not doing it. (laughs) So what is it? Well, there's a reason it's called the Sunday basket. (laughs) Because you're supposed to empty it completely on Sunday. And go through it and decide Does this need to be taken care of right now or can it wait till next Sunday? And if it's supposed to be taken care of right now, you're supposed to take it out and actually do whatever you're supposed to do. And if it's supposed to wait, you're supposed to leave it in the box. Did I get that right? Oh, you are such a good little disciple. I love it. Teacher's pet. But if if you have a work Sunday basket and a home Sunday basket – and you get to Sunday and you only have a limited amount of time and you decide to do one basket or the other basket, the question you asked yourself was, can this wait until next Sunday? You did not ask the question, can this wait until some indeterminate Sunday sometime in the future? (laughs) Right. You only deferred those decisions for one week. And so if you don't go through it every single week, then the basket just becomes a really adorable little clutter collector. And it's large. It gets larger and larger. It gets larger and overwhelming. And then you don't want to take action. And then, oh, you know, it doesn't work. So yes, I love a work Sunday basket. Now, I'll give you a caveat on that. My work Sunday basket, I don't ask the same question. So yes, what I ask in my work Sunday basket is usually, does this have to be done this month? Because usually there are weekly tasks that you do every single week in your business, just like there are home maintenance tasks that you do every single week. But then there are things that you do every month, like you can batch all of your podcasts and record them all in one week. And often what I do in my work is project related. So I'll pick a project of the week or four to six projects for the month. These are the projects I'm doing this month. Everything else stays in the Sunday basket until the end of the month. And then I go through and I decide, is this a project that I want to work on this month? And usually they're more project related, not like paying bills, filling out form related. Oh my gosh. Now I'm going to have to have you on my show a third time to talk (laughs) about that. Yes. But let's try to focus on the generation. So one more thing I wanted to update you because I'm still updating you. The last thing is I still have all my boxes in my garage. We talked about how when I moved in 2000 and uh, what year was it? 2008. My husband's an engineer. Just to refresh your memory, my husband's an engineer and he went through and we actually put everything in boxes and labeled the boxes instead of labeling kitchen, bathroom, we labeled them one, two, three, four. And then he, he typed in what was in each box. I don't know if you remember that, but because of that, it's so well organized in that fashion. We never actually unpacked. And so (laughs) 
<laughs> we still probably have about 50 boxes in the garage, but the good, I know you're like, oh my gosh, get rid of those, take them to Goodwill. You probably don't even know what's in them. But the good news is, is that when, when we are looking for something, he just goes to the spreadsheet and he types in blue baby bottle from 1977 and it'll tell us what box it's in. So yeah, I love that. I, I think that is a great way to do a storage system. Oh my gosh. I, I mean, don't have mine that way, but well, <laughs> most normal, awesome. normal people don't. I think it's only engineers that do that. But, um, but so I am really excited. Let's dive into this generational issue because I have probably two different generations that listen to my show, maybe three. The majority of the people who listen are probably baby boomers. And then I might have a few people that are Gen Xers. And then maybe just a few people that are, I have forgotten the name of the other. Millennials. No, not, I doubt if any millennials. Oh, silent. Yeah, probably the silent generation might listen as well. That's my husband. He's in that one. So what I'd like you to do is kind of explain how each generation deals with their things and why we're so different, if you wouldn't mind. Sure. So just to get a framework for what those generations are, I cannot remember the exact dates. Baby boomers are born sometime between, I think it's like 1946 maybe to 1964. Right. That's a baby boomer. Mm -hmm. And actually the baby boom generation is so gigantic. It also is divided into early baby boomers and late baby boomers. So even within generations, there are sub-generations. Gen X was born, I think, 1965 to 1980. Right. They We're changed that. It used to be 1966, and they changed it so they could include me. Oh, did they? Yeah, because oh, I kept so complaining awesome. about that. So they said, okay, we'll include you in the Gen Xers. So now <laughs> I'm, I actually have a home. Oh, I'm so glad. <laughs> so Gen Xers is a small generation by years. It's only 15 years, but also by population. There aren't as many Gen Xers as there are millennials and baby boomers. So millennials are 1980s and after. So the generation that is before baby boomers are the silent generation. And they were born, actually, they had some unique advantages to them. My grandmother was the silent generation. It is the generation after the World War I and World War II greatest generation. And it was a very small generation as well, like Gen X, even smaller than Gen X. But it had some unique advantages to it in that it was born. they were born during the Great Depression. However, all of the schools were starting to be expanded before the Great Depression. And after World War II, the baby boomers all went to school. But not everyone in the greatest generation went to school. So the people that were born in the silent generation went into these schools that were brand new, had just been built. There was a great pupil to teacher ratio because they were preparing for the abundance that was coming after World War II. Oh, I've and never they heard also, it said like that before, but yes. you're right. Yes, I just heard an interview, I wish I could remember where, about this the other day, and, and all the benefits that the silent generation had, they were raised by... I don't know. There, if you really look into it, there's there's a lot that is very unique about that generation. And there are dominant and recessive generations. So Gen X and the silent generation are both recessive generations. Like you don't hear a lot about us in the media. When people talk about generations, they almost always mention baby boomers and millennials. Right. Rarely will you hear Gen X and almost never will you hear the silent generation mentioned. So 
dominant generations like the baby boomers and the millennials, they create a lot of civic change. And that is why they are in the media a lot more. Whereas Gen X and the silent generations, we are more the bookend generations that kind of um, mediate between the generations. <laughs> So if you're the silent generation, you have a lot of parallels to the people that are in their 40s and early 50s now that are Gen Xers. And you are constantly, so as a Gen Xer, I'm I'm constantly saying to the baby boomers, don't worry, the millennials aren't going to ruin everything. Like, it's going to be just <laughs> fine. The world is going to keep turning. Eventually, you're going to have to get out of politics so we can get in, please. Like, maybe you could retire. Go. <laughs> Let us have some of the control. Like, if you look at a lot of the corporations and politics, like, uh, the baby boomers don't want to leave the control and the power, and they're not giving it to the Gen Xers, who are the age where they should be in the leadership positions. But the baby boomers are not leading. So we're like, it'll be okay. Let us take control. And then the millennials are coming up behind them. And it's hard to put labels on millennials because they're still in their 20s and 30s. But they're more like, so my son is actually Gen Z, the first gener the first year of Gen Z. He's 18. Mm. He says, I don't understand why we have to have money. Like, can't everybody just have everything? Right. <laughs> so, and this has, this is a flavor that has been given to millennials as well. I don't know how appropriate it is, but again, Gen X is saying, come on, you gotta go to work, pick a job, any job. I don't care how long you stay there, but let's go, let's do something. <laughs> let's get it going. They're like, oh, we will, you know, what about the big idea? And so these, these generations of Gen X and the silent generation are usually the workhorses. They are the ones that get stuff done. They're the ones that bridge the gap between these two dominant generations. And they are, they are pulling the one along, pulling the millennials along and dampening the, um, the baby boomers so that everybody can get along. So if you know that the silent and the, and Gen X are more of these connecting generations, then that makes a lot more sense when we go into talking about stuff. And that is actually a good segue because we're going to take a short break and then when we come back, we are going to talk about how to put all this information that Lisa's given us into place. So we'll be right back. Do you want to join in the conversation? Have a question that you need help with? Join our Facebook group. It's free and we have fun in there along with supporting each other. Just go to rockyourretirement.com slash community and apply to be a member. Welcome back. So just to refresh your memory, I'm speaking with Lisa Woodruff, who is actually a second time guest on my show. And we are talking about generations and how it affects organizations. So Lisa, welcome back. Thank you so much. So you had, before we went to the break, you had just started talking about the different generations and you promised that you would tell us how all of this affects us. So let us know what we need to do now that we know what the generations are. How does that affect us? Okay. So when we think about those generations and how they were raised, 
Then let's think about how they acquired stuff. So the silent generation was born during and raised during the Great Depression. That is when they had their childhood years. And while they had a lot available to them educationally, they didn't have as much available to them materially. And then they gave birth to the late baby boomers, not usually the early baby baby boomers. That was the greatest generation who has already passed. But they gave birth to the the second generation half of the baby boomers that are currently alive. They typically did not have mortgages on their home. I know my grandmother paid off her home in three years. She did not carry a mortgage. They did not have credit cards. They were a hardworking generation. And they tended to be a fairly frugal generation as well. They didn't grow up with a lot of consumerism. They had a lot of children. They provided for those children what they needed, but not necessarily everything under the sun. Then The baby boomers were born and raised in the affluence at the end of World War II. And that is when consumerism and all of these toys and everything really came on the market. Think Barbies, G.I. Joe. And this is when TV was really prevalent. Commercials became prevalent. And advertisers started targeting teenagers and this baby boom generation. There were just so many of them. And the world was so prosperous that the whole advertising and TV industry was born, as was a lot of the materialism that you see. Then these baby boomers had their children, which would have been the Gen Xers. And the Gen I'm a Gen Xer. We had everything. Like We had all of the toys. So we had all of the toys that the baby boomers had growing up and then some because we were born in the late 60s, early 70s, and we were raised in the late 70s and 80s. And the 80s, I mean, think about the 80s. Uh, president Trump is the current president. But in the 80s, I remember following Donald Trump because he was the entrepreneur that was everywhere and all of his buildings were gold. I mean, and if if you had anything to say about the 80s, I mean, it was Dallas was the TV show. He was having, Trump had gold buildings. You had big hair. Like, it was money. It was all money. And that was the height of materialism was the 80s and 90s. So just like there are cycles for money, there are cycles for stuff. So the silent generation was born during the Great Depression, which obviously was a terrible financial time. And then 2008 to 2012, again, we had a great economic recession 70 years later. Stuff follows the same 80-year cycle that money follows. So you will notice right now that stuff is very devalued. When you go shopping, you can buy a shirt now for half or less of what it cost you 10 years ago. But the 80s, that was the height of when things cost a lot of money and when people wanted to accumulate a lot of physical stuff. And there was a lot of buying and trying to earn money in order to buy more things. And the things you had really defined you. That's why we had the yuppies, the young urban professionals that drove the BMWs. And and your stuff was really what your worth was in. That's today, true. That's yeah, actually we, true. I never thought about the fact that Gen Xers were actually more material than materialistic than the baby boomers. But what you're saying makes a lot of sense. Well, it was the baby boomers who were funding that. So the baby boomers at that time would have been in their early 30 or in their late 30s, 40s, 50s, about the same age that the Gen Xers are now in the 80s and 90s. So they were funding that. Right. They were the ones that were um, the engine of that financial growth. So as they acquired their stuff, as baby boomers, you know, were raised in affluence, then had 
then came into their own in the 80s and 90s and accumulated all of this stuff and provided for their children. Now, they didn't have six, seven, eight children. They had two, three, four children. So they were able to provide even more financially for these children. And there were, think about the things that were sold then, cabbage patch dolls and beanie babies and all of these things that were supposedly collectibles and you left the tags on them and you left them in the packages because they were going to be worth something someday. And the baby boomers are saying, yes, all of those Beanie Babies that I bought are still in my attic in the original packaging because they were going to be worth something someday. And now here we are, baby boomers in the silent generation moving into retirement homes or trying to move out of these big family homes. And nobody wants their stuff that they worked forever to acquire. So when you look at stuff and as it's being decluttered, you know, the common mantra today is if it doesn't spark joy, blah, blah, blah. It depends on who you're talking to. Like if you're talking to Gen Z or a millennial, yeah, they haven't lived a long time. They didn't have to work very hard to earn that thing because things don't cost very much money. Literally, I could order something on Amazon right now and it will be at my house tonight. I, I, it just is not a lot of work to get stuff. In the 80s, you would wait, you know, stand in line overnight to get your kid a Cabbage Patch doll. Like that's literally what people did in the 80s. Or you had to drive or, and it cost a lot of money. So these items that we're so flippant about that are in the silent generation and baby boomers addicts are not just stuff that no longer sparks joy. They were things that were hard earned, bought for you, for you, for your pleasure when you were being raised and also for your inheritance. Like I know a lot of my family buys crystal and China and collectibles because they thought they had value like a stock that they could pass on to the future generation. It's not just about if this thing sparks joy today. It's how was that item acquired? What sacrifice was made for that item to be collected? And then how do we preserve that memory and pass on that love and that legacy while letting go of the stuff that no longer has the value that we once thought it would have when we reached our retiring age? You have put that so elegantly because a lot of us are dealing with parents and still some grandparents and we're thinking, just get rid of it. Just get rid of it. It, It's not worth anything and they won't do it. And now I know why. Yes. Right. And, and you know what? They just need to hear that you know why. You know, what I tell people to do is go through the attic in the storage room with your parents and your grandparents. What the younger generations want are experiences. Experience and quality time is what is really at a height right now. Materialism is at a low. However, the people that you want to clear out their house, you also want them to do it on their own. Right. So We don't want to be stuck with it later. <laughs> so why don't you feed your own need for experience and quality time while they are feeding their need of decluttering and downsizing and passing on their loving memory to you, even if that means that they get to go through all the baby clothes that they saved and they get to tell you all the stories about where they got those clothes and, and where they wore. And either you give them all away or you take some of them and you make a baby quilt that's passed on for future generations. Or you take a few of those baby clothes and turn it into a cute little stuffed teddy bear. And you give that gift to your parent or your grandparent at Christmas. That's what I'm doing with my mother-in-law. I took her father's bathrobe. She wanted to give it to my husband. And I said, yes, we will take it. Oh, I turned it into a stuffed cat. And she's mm. going to get that for Christmas. And she loves all those little kinds of things. She'll look at that every day and think of her dad. 
That is so awesome. I love that. You know, I just thought of an idea too, based on what you just said. Hey. So right now I'm in the process of interviewing my father and, and, um, you know, he has Alzheimer's. So the other day he got a little frustrated. I'm doing these interviews in 10 minute increments. And I I had this idea that I would sell these interviews as well. And not my dad's, but like give people the opportunity to have me interview their loved one. Mm-hmm. And I was going to charge $4.95 for it. I'm, let, me, let me tell you, it is so hard. Like, I don't know if $4.95 is enough, actually. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, I don't know if I'm actually going to do it now that I'm doing this with my father, because it's really hard work. And the other day when I was interviewing him, he said to me, you know, I wish you would have, I'm going to cry. He said, I wish you would have done this two years ago. No. And, and he was right. I should have. So here's my idea based on what you said, that while you're going through the stuff with your parents and grandparents, and they're telling you all the cute stories about how they got this baby item, record it, either audio or video. And then you'll have those memories forever and you can give it to your, give it to your, um, you know, your loved one as well. And that way they'll have those memories of going through those things with you. So, yes. And I've done that with, uh, two of our grandparents and I did it with Greg's grandfather as well, created those videos. I just did it in a day, one hour. I had 10 different questions. I asked them about what it was like being raised, their schooling, the businesses that they worked for or owned. And those videos are watched by my kids who never met those grandparents. But what you're saying, I did scrapbooks also for them. When you give your parents or grandparents photos of themselves in an album as a gift, it is a gift for you in the future, but it it increases their self-esteem and self-worth today. Recording someone, making a photo album of someone, spending time with someone increases their self-esteem and their self-worth. And they have plenty of time. And so we as Gen Xers or whatever, we think, oh my gosh, I don't have any time. Can you just go through the basement, get rid of it? We'll move you in the... It's about time. It's it's about time. They need the support of you or a group doing it. I noticed this in my 100 day home organization program that I have the common going through these spaces together, being able to say, Oh yeah, I've got the beanie babies too. And everybody in the Facebook group going, okay, we're going to get rid of the baby boom, the, the beanie babies. We know it's like $3,000, which is ridiculous that, that we, and do you remember, do you remember the beanie babies? Like we would have to go to different stores to get the right one. I never was allowed to have more than three, but like I had some friends that had like a hundred of them and they would drive for hours to get the next one. You know, Lisa, I do remember that I'm a little bit older than you. I was born in 65. So like I said, for a long time, I wasn't a baby boomer or a Gen Xer. But I remember people buying these Beanie Babies. And I have to tell you, I had a few of them. And I had like five or six of them. But I never really got into the I'm going to make a lot of money because I looked at these things and I'm like, anybody can make this. This is not that hard. See, you were just smart. <laughs> I was like, this is stupid. Like, who would pay $500 for a Beanie Baby? You know, I, I just, I never really got into it. Now, I still have some, you know, from 1980 or whatever year it was. But I know people, I know that people lost like thousands of dollars buying these Beanie Babies. 
And now you can you can still buy them at the grocery store or whatever, but hopefully you didn't lose thousands of dollars, Lisa. Oh, I was never allowed to get any. So, <laughs> so but your the parents one thing were smart. I will say also about the silent generation specifically is that my grandmother lived in a retirement home for 20 years. She moved in there when she was like 71. She moved in early because her spouse was 10 years older and they just liked this retirement community center. So they moved in early. And she passed away a year ago Mm. and my mom was decluttering for her. And she was like, do you think we should get rid of any more of these things? And my grandmother traveled the world and she was an avid reader and she would get her books from the library. That wasn't a problem, but she collected Yadros and Hummels and and all of these collectible figurines. And those were thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. And now I'm sure you figured this out. Yeah, that's not the big deal, but there were so many of these. And my mom was saying, what else could we declutter around here? And my grandma said, I like everything I have left. Hmm. And I want you to think about that. Like when you are telling your parents or your grandparents that it's time to downsize, it's time to move, it's time to declutter. Is that because that's what they want? Or is that because that's what you want? Or are they happy with what they have left? And if they can afford to stay in that house and they're happy with the way it is, yes, you are going to have to deal with that one day and you're going to have to clean out that family home. But this is the life they've created for themselves. And if they're happy with it, why do they need to change it? Now, on the flip side, (laughs) if you're a baby boomer and you're like, that's right, I'm going to stay here and nobody's going to tell me I can't have 89 binders full of paper we don't even need. (laughs) I'm just going to stay here. I'm going to say to you, specifically baby boomers, not the silent generation, It you are so in control of your life right now. You have all of your faculties and you know what you want to do tomorrow, but tomorrow is not promised to you. And so you may not be here tomorrow or you may not be in the same capacity you're in today. And I'm sorry, this is really tough love, but is this how you really want to leave your house for your children and the future generations? Or are there a few things that you've been putting off to do tomorrow that you should do? Like you should put it on your list. All right, I'm going to go through my own paperwork. All right, I'm going to divide up the family photos. I'm going to do whatever you're doing because that is a gift that you're going to give the next generation by doing it yourself so that they don't have to guess what you wanted done. You've done what you wanted done and you don't think that you're going to lose your faculties or you're going to fall and break your hip or whatever it is that is going to happen eventually, you know, when you're 150, don't worry, 80 is the new 40. (laughs) Um, But eventually, you're so used to being in charge, being in charge of your parents, yourself, your kids, your finances. I mean, the baby boomers are an amazing generation, like just an amazing generation. And you don't want to pass on that private information, your bank account information to your kids, because you can handle it. But it would be nice that even if you don't want to tell them about it, turn on a tape recorder and record it, make a list of what all of the passwords are, or, you know, if something were to happen, do your kids have what they need to make the best decisions for you and your home? If they do, great. Enjoy how it is. But if they don't, then don't put your feet in sand and say, yep, that's right. I like it. And I'm just going to keep it this way. Maybe you need to do a little bit of housekeeping. Oh, that is such an excellent note to close on, Lisa. You are just amazing. Every time I have you on my show, you just give us so much value. I can't even write it all down. 
but I'm going to try. We're going to put it in the show notes. Tell us once again. Oh, wait, before we close, though, I want to make sure that the listener does know about your Sunday Basket workshops. And you also have a new a product that you launched since our last um, interview. So do you want to tell the listener about that? Sure. So what I have found that the basic homeowner needs to organize is their home and they need to organize their paper. So to organize your home, I have a program called the 100 Day Home Organization Program. And I launch it three times a year. It's 100 days long. We go through it as a group and it's a lifetime membership. So once you buy in, you go through over and over and over again. And I call it the productive home. Then if you want to organize your paper, what I found is organizing your paper is something that is really more easily done in person. So you can start a Sunday basket and there's all kinds of free information on that. You can go to thesundaybasket.com and I have online virtual workshops that I do about every six weeks where you can learn to make your Sunday basket with me online. Or you can go to thesundaybasket.com and find out if there is a local provider in your area doing paper organizing workshops. So at the paper organizing workshop, the first one, you learn how to make your Sunday basket. And then you can come back month after month after month and just keep loading up laundry baskets with paper and getting them organized with a licensed provider that can help you organize even your filing cabinet at their house. So you just bring the files out of your filing cabinet and they will tell you what can be shredded, what shouldn't be shredded, what to do with what you have left, how to turn it into binders all of that paper that you have. And I estimate on average, it takes about nine to 18 months of going to those paper organizing workshops to get all of your paper organized. That is awesome. And I think you have a third product too, that's a physical product. Is is that correct? Or am I wrong about that? The Sunday basket? Right. Do you sell that now? Do you have that product where people don't have to go buy everything themselves and you just put it together as a package? Or am I making that up? It is in process. It is in process. And by the time this podcast airs, I might possibly have it. <laughs> so check our website out and see if it's available. Be right. at thesundaybasket.com. Yes. <laughs> that you is know, awesome. Manufacturing products is, is not like creating an online course. <laughs> Right, right. But I'm so more people than me. (laughs) (laughs) Right, lots of people. I'm so excited about that. And so, so the listener can go to the sundaybasket.com. And what about your podcast? Where can they find that? So everything else is at organize365.com, which is where I got started. And the podcast is called the organize 365 podcast. Awesome. So thanks again, Lisa, for coming on the show. You as usual, are wonderful. And I think we're going to have to have you come back for a three-peat. <laughs> Thanks, Kathy. I would love to. Thanks so much. For the listener, we'll see you next time on Rock Your Retirement. Oh, wait. I wanted to thank you again for listening to the Rocky Retirement Show. If you're a new listener, a good place to start is episode 116. This explains the six pillars of retirement lifestyle and our general philosophy. Episodes 1 through 236 can be thought of as an encyclopedia. These are topics that may or may not be interesting to you. You can listen to the ones that you're interested in and forget the rest until the issue becomes an issue for you. And that's okay. 
I actually don't recommend starting with episode one and working through until the most recent. That's actually not how the show was designed. Of course, if you want to do that so you can see how the show changed over time, you're welcome to. Now, starting in August, actually August 31st of 2020, we changed the format of the show. The monthly episodes starting with 237 follow a real retiree from her pre-announcement through her first year of retirement. There might be bonus episodes, but we're committed to monthly. If you've enjoyed any of our past shows or the show that you've just listened to and you want to support us, you can do so in any of the four ways. One, share this episode with a friend or family member who needs to hear it. This is the most important way that people find us. Since our audience is typically older, we grow by having our listeners share our episodes with others. Two, subscribe to or follow the show using whatever podcast catcher you're listening on right now. Now, if you're listening on your computer, you can listen on your smartphone by going to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, iHeartRadio, Spotify. I mean, I believe on all of them. If you can't find us on the podcast catcher that you'd like to use, send us a note on the website at rockyourretirement.com and we'll make sure that we get on your favorite podcast app. But basically, what you do is you download the app and then you search for the show and when you find it, you'll hit subscribe. Make sure it's the Rock Your Retirement Show and that you hear my voice when you listen. Um, actually, there were some episodes where Henry Shapiro was a guest. Uh, we, we actually downloaded some of his episodes. So if you hear him, it's probably still the, the same show. There were maybe 34 or 35 episodes back in the beginning that we hosted on our show uh, when he decided to leave podcasting. Number three, how you can support us is by leaving a review. Whatever podcast app you're listening to normally has the option of leaving a review, either a written review saying how great the show is or just with stars. Five stars is typically the best. And of course, we're shooting for those five-star reviews. And if you tell us why you like the show, what you liked about it, it's actually easier for other people to understand what the show's about. A lot of people, when they find our show, they think it's about money. And of course, by now, you know that it's not. Number four, if you'd like to support us financially, of course, we're always appreciative of that. Just go to rockyourretirement.com slash support, and it will take you to our page where you can support us financially. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on Rock Your Retirement. Bye.